The Good Advice Show, and you're tuning in to another episode of The Good Advice Podcast. Hey, I hope you're doing well today, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our humble little podcast. You come to the right place if you've been looking to grow your business. This is the place we're going to do it. I love the show because I get to talk about the things that really aren't too complicated to understand, and yet sometimes they become so challenging. One of those things being, of course, how do you manage people well? You know, when we think about good leadership, there's a lot of things that come to mind. More importantly, there's a lot of things we can immediately say, okay, I probably shouldn't do that. Like yelling and screaming at your employees. We can probably agree that, you know what, that's probably not going to take you very far in the leadership world. However, it's not just so simple as saying, be a good boss. People are complicated. And because these, these because they're complicated, some of these conversations can be a bit challenging as well. Hey, I want to bring you a conversation I had with the Rogers Lowell Chamber of Commerce uh, just a couple of years ago where we talked through this exact topic. If you've been thinking about how to manage people well, whether you're hiring your 10th employee or maybe you're thinking about your first employee, I think you're going to love this episode. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spotlight Series Leadership and Retaining Young Talent. The Rogers Law Area Chamber of Commerce is committed to keeping our members and our community informed on recent developments and bringing you the Spotlight Series. My name is Ross Phillips, Senior Vice President of Community Development for the Rogers Law Area Chamber of Commerce. I'll be your host as we have this very important conversation about workforce development and retaining young talent in our area. Before we jump into the conversation, I would like to give a big thank you to our sponsors for the Spotlight Series. Presenting sponsor, Ritter Communications. Gold sponsor, Craft & Toll. And our host sponsor, American Electric Power Foundation and Cushman and Wakefield Sage Partners. Thank you for all your support and all you do for our chamber. Joining me today in this discussion is my good friend, Blake Benz. Blake is the owner of Good Advice, a company that grows and scales businesses from the new entrepreneur to seasoned execs. Good Advice shows businesses how to get more customers and run a sustainable, successful, scalable brand. Blake also hosts the Good Advice podcast. It's a top 50 podcast in the United States or something like that. So he's, he's Someone listens known. to it, I guess. He's kind of known a little bit. Uh, yeah. Blake, you're located here in Fayetteville. Um, um, you live there with your wife, Joy, and your daughter, Marley? Maylie. Maylie. Mm -hmm. Maylie, sorry about that. Hey, it's okay. We also have a dog named Sadie, and uh, my wife pointed out that she is also part of the family, um, so I have to make sure that that's, you know, the dogs the are definitely the most important yeah. thing here. Well, yeah. Well, Blake, thank you so much for being here today, uh, joining us with this conversation. Um, a lot has kind of happened over the past 18 months. I mean, you think about COVID, that threw a big wrench into right. the work, the workplace, the workforce. Kind of, how are things looking today? I know you're out in the community a lot, yeah. talking with these business leaders. What What's kind of the pulse of the mm. community right now? Well, before I answer that, I want to tell you, first of all, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. And I love what the Chamber's doing in terms of trying to get content out there that helps our businesses. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, how do we reinvest in our local businesses? And uh, it can be a bit of a, a marketing spin sometimes. And so I, I just love that the Rogers Lowell Chamber is actually, actually doing the work uh, to help our businesses. Because anyone who's lived here in NWA, we know how special this place is. And so naturally, we want to see the place flourish. 
Um, getting back to your question, how COVID has affected businesses, um, I think some people would answer that question with just the simple word of bad. Uh, you know, it's been kind of a wild run for a multitude of businesses. I think some people would be surprised to know that actually some businesses have flourished during COVID. Um, despite the fact that COVID has been uh, incredibly challenging, incredibly painful uh, for many of us, uh, not just our businesses, but our families and our loved ones, there have been some businesses that have actually done really well. And that's been mostly because of their, their perspective on business, how do they approach business, um, their willingness to pivot and change. Uh, despite that though, um, it is a bit of a bleak uh, overall business environment right now. We know that uh, of all of your employees, only about a third of them are actually showing up passionate and excited on a day-to-day -day basis. That means two-thirds of them are just watching the clock. Now, some business owners would hear that statistic and they'd say, well, I'm going to find out who those two-thirds are and, you know, get them, get them excited. Um, and that's really the wrong approach. We'll talk more about that uh, as we have our conversation today. But there, there's a lot of opportunity for growth. And I think what I would encourage our listeners for today is understanding that, yes, COVID is something that we so much really can't control. There are still things that we can control to help our business continue to do really well, uh, despite the circumstances. Yeah. And one thing that you can really kind of control, you touched on it a little bit, is the people mm -hmm. and the culture that you're that you have within your organization. I know we'll get into that a little bit more, but you kind of hit on it a little bit. We as a chamber, our mission is to keep people here in Northwest Arkansas. So we want to see that talent grow. We want to see that talent develop. We don't want people moving to the Austins and the Dallases and the you know the places like that so what can businesses do here locally to kind of keep and start to retain some of that great talent that's coming out of the university that's coming mm -hmm. out of NWAC that's coming out of some of these trade schools right well I mean you, you make a great point that there there's definitely a bit of an allure uh, with these other towns that people might want to go to and I mentioned this at the start I mean NWA is an, an amazing place in fact on my LinkedIn bio I think it even says I'm an NWA addict uh, and someone reached out to me and said, oh, wow, so like you're a recovering addict. And I was like, well, um, it's just like, what is NWA? And I was like, okay, this is awkward now. Maybe I need to change this. Um, actually, it's just where I'm from. Uh, but, but many of us who live here, we know how special it is. And I think that's also fun talking with people who are transient, like they're only here for a season. Like maybe they're coming in for a, a temporary executive role at one of our big companies here. And they realize how amazing it is. Um, the answer is a bit complicated in the sense of there's a lot of moving parts with it. I think the, the most important thing as like an overarching answer is people understanding that when we talk about investing in your people and making people part of the most important part of your business, there has to be an actual deliberate st uh, strategy built around retaining talent. You know, we have a marketing strategy, we have a go-to-market strategy, um, we have a lot of conversations in the business on how do we be more competitive, how do we be more innovative, um, how do we keep our ear to the ground in terms of the latest, greatest trends that are happening. We have to take that same intentionality and apply it to retaining our people. And, and that makes sense when we hear that, but on a day-to-day -day basis, many of us as business owners, we aren't actually doing that. What's typically happening is we say we love our people, our people is our most important asset, and it's really pretty in terms of like a marketing statement. 
But then you, good on the wall. It looks really great on the wall. Right. Yeah. And then, or you get the email where the boss says, thank you for all that you do. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, now it's become kind of a cliche. You have people that you talk to who they see that line of the email that says, thanks for all that you do, and they roll their eyes because it's, we're not actually doing the work that's involved in valuing our people. Right. I think I think I've seen a meme on your LinkedIn page. It's like the boss comes in and it's like a hand above water, like, hey, let's give it let's give everyone a pizza party. Yeah, yeah. It's like low wages, exploitation, you know, I'm basically miserable here. And the boss is like, pizza party. You know, and it's like and, and every, here's what's I like posting stuff like that because I mean it gets me a lot of traction, but it's also a little bit sad because mm -hmm. everyone can relate to it. And yeah. I think I think as I think what should bother us as business owners is why has that become the norm? Mm -hmm. Like that, it shouldn't be a meme. It should be that gets posted. People are like, what, what business do you work for? Yeah. Right. But instead we're all kind of like, oh yeah, I know. I know that boss. I know that business. And sadly, some of us are thinking I'm in that business right now. Yeah. So and that kind of, that kind of starts to hit on like the culture mm -hmm. and culture gets mentioned so much right now. I mean, it's been a buzzword for a long time. What is culture and how does it really play a role in today's businesses? I mean, we talk about it here at the chamber all the time. We're trying to build a culture that people want to come to work. We're trying to build a culture here in Northwest Arkansas where people want to stay and want to mm -hmm. live here. But sure. how does that culture really translate into the day-to-day -day where it's not just a, a one-liner right. or an email <laughs> or a pizza party on Friday right. or something like right. that? Right. Well, I, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I think culture has become a bit of a cliché term. Meaning, um, we we really like talking about it, but we don't. It's kind of like it's kind of like customer service. Like you talk to every business about like, well, what makes your business special? And they say, oh, well, you know, we have great customer service. Yeah. But you and I both know if we were to talk about the businesses that we truly had a memorable customer service experience, it we we'd it'd probably be on one hand right. or maybe ten total. Mm -hmm. And yet everyone's talking about customer service. So there's a disconnect there. The same thing's happening with culture where. Many of us, we like to talk about, you know, oh, we have a great culture, we care about culture, and yet a lot of our, our employees in our country aren't actually experiencing what it really means to be part of a great culture. So let's talk about what, what exactly culture is. Mm -hmm. um, culture is literally, putting it simply, it, it's, it's what it's like to work here. It's the attitudes that are present in the business. Um, it's the perceptions that the employees have about the value of their work. Uh, and more importantly, the value of themselves in the eyes of their bosses. Um, it's what they believe about uh, the business as a whole and their place in it. Uh, we like to make these things seem, um, we like to make culture seem like it is this very much fluffy, it's so fun to work here. Um, and I've talked to people where I've said like, you know, how have you invested in your culture? And they say, oh, we have beer on tap. We, you know, <laughs> bring your dog to work. Uh, we have an arcade and like, I mean, they'll name off like the thousands of dollars that they've spent in investing like in the infrastructure of their building. Yeah. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, those things are just perks. They're not what drive culture. And actually, statistically speaking, they don't drive engagement in your employees. Uh, you would think that they do yeah, because you it's would like think that. like oh it's a cool place to yeah i'm gonna go there yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm done with work for the day let me grab a beer well unfortunately that that actually doesn't drive engagement in fact there are people who are just as unhappy in those work situations as people who don't have all the perks and the pizzazz and that's because at the end of the day it's not about the perks it's about what the bosses are doing and communicating value to their people uh, that's why business during COVID has been so interesting 
is because so many people, especially people who've reached out to myself and good advice, the, the business that I work with uh, or, or own, excuse me, um, it's interesting how many people have reached out and been like, hey, I, I need to invest in my culture now. And I think, well, you've kind of missed the boat. I mean, yeah. investing in the culture would have been great 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Now you're trying to sort of salvage a burning building with a pizza party. You know, and it's <laughs> like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work so much. And yeah. not to say that it's never too, it's not necessarily too late to ever work on culture. Um, but the people who understand this concept, they do understand how grueling and tiring it can be to really invest in your culture. Um, but that's just like how you would handle a marketing strategy or a, you know, if I'm gonna get more customers, it's a lot of work. It's the same thing with your people. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of energy, uh, and it's not done easily. Right. It seems like there's that big disconnect between like saying, hey, we have this strong culture and then actually having that culture. Why do you really think that disconnect is there? I think it's two things. I think, and I love that you mentioned the disconnect because this is actually one of the most common things that I see with business leaders I work with today. It's a disconnect that is tangible to everyone but the person in charge of the business. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is characterized by, for example, like you ask the business owner, hey, what's it like to work here? And the business owner says, oh, it's amazing. It's so great. I mean, we really, it's such a special place. It's so, it's wonderful. I mean, you'll come here on a Monday morning and it's like walking on clouds. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And then you go into like a frontline employee's office or you go to like their desk and you ask them, hey, what do you think? And now there's like a rainstorm and it's like, oh, I'm miserable here. And it's the, it's the feeling of Sunday night, which a lot of us can relate to, that feeling of Sunday night of, you know, I don't want to go to sleep because oh, I don't. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to start the work week. So how do I? How do I delay? I mean, I remember working for a business like this, and I would be. I mean, I had to be up at 4:30 in the morning on Monday morning, and it's 10 o'clock on Sunday night, and I'm like desperately thinking about like, do I need to put a movie on? Like, how do I extend Sunday night <laughs> even more because I don't want to. I don't want to start this work week, yeah. and it, that disconnect is often present because you have leaders at the top who aren't willing to have honest conversations with their employees. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been a third person facilitator between a a CEO and their staff people where the CEO says, hey, what's it like to work here? And they get some really honest truths. They get some hard truths. Um, I've seen some leaders walk out of that room saying, wow, this was really amazing. This really opened my eyes. And I've seen some leaders walk out saying that could not have gone worse mm-hmm. because they didn't get their ego stroked. Right. It wasn't like, oh, hey, this place is amazing. Um, I think of one time, for example, I was talking to a group of leaders of a business and they were complaining about their frontline employees and they were saying they're so entitled, uh, really just, just characterizing them as pretty self, uh, self-absorbed self and all these different things. And they were saying that one of the biggest pain points was that the employees were complaining about having to report to work at 8 a.m. And they said, you know, don't they know it's a job? Don't they know like they they work for us? And we're just having this conversation. And I just randomly asked, I said, well, what time do you all report to work? And it's an executive team of about six people. And they look at each other and they laugh. And um, one of them says, well, Julie, it's lucky if she's ever in here by 11 a.m. you know, and someone else said, well, you know, if it's a Monday, it's usually 10 o'clock. If it's a Friday, maybe it's noon. And I'm hearing this executive staff laugh about how late into the day they actually show up and start. And then they're complaining about the employees who are frustrated about being there at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, mm-hmm. how did this disconnect? I mean, is there any wonder why these employees are frustrated? Yeah, right? I mean, it's clear at that point. 
Right, but, so, but when you're in it, when you're in it though, it's it's hard to take an honest look in the mirror. Yeah. And I think it's it was Harvard Business Review that pointed out that the people who are actually self-aware, like their perception of how they're doing versus what they're actually doing is only about 10%. And so only about 10% of us can really take an honest look at ourselves and recognize, hey, the, the image of myself I have in my head uh, is not actually what people see me as. And that honest look at ourselves, I mean, that's how we grow as leaders, that's how we be better bosses, but many of us are unwilling to have that conversation because it's a blow to ego. Um, I think of one business owner, for example, who his business was essentially on the, bank, the, the brink of bankruptcy. Uh, now, 10 years later, he's flourishing. And I asked him, well, you know, what was the big change for you? And he said, well, I realized that 99% of the problems my business, is, my business was facing was my fault. You know, having that moment of self-awareness can be really powerful, right. but it's also very painful. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like I mentioned, you, know, you got into business because you knew you had something special to offer. Now getting your ego in check can be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, that ego kind of gets in the way of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but say we do the things, we have those hard conversations, we're starting to move forward, we're starting to become more self-aware. Do you think as we become more self-aware and we push ourselves to be like better leaders, will that then help drive the culture, then help drive employees to stick around? Or will they just leave no matter what? Uh, well, so we, we like to talk about how we need to be good leaders. And we have, there's probably like the, and I'm, I'm blanking on like the exact expression, but it's like people don't quit bad businesses, they quit bad bosses. Um, so there's a lot of conversation about being a great leader, being a great boss, and it's, and it's well warranted. There's, in, there's an incredible amount of data behind what a great boss does for a business. However, um, it's not everything. I, I think sometimes we like to make retention this very um, cute thing of just be a great boss and your people will stay when actually there are some there are, are there are other factors um, one of them that tends to get me in trouble um, I, I so I post on this podcast it's a top 50 entrepreneurial podcast top 200 business podcast in the United States there you go. Get the title right up. yeah the good advice right podcast <laughs> and um, it's actually like number four in Ireland I don't I don't know why um, we're big in Ireland. yeah apparently yeah we're going to Ireland <laughs> Um, so anyway, um, I get the most frustration from people on the episodes that I post that have to do with pay. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we really enjoy talking about just being a great boss, being a great leader, but not actually putting our money where we say our value is. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one example of this would be I was talking to someone who was um, hiring for a position and she said, my budget is $35,000 for a starting salary for this person. And it was someone with like a master's degree. And I said, okay, well, what, what's the average base starting salary in this industry? And she said, $70,000. So it was double of what, <laughs> what she, she was, was willing to pay. Yeah. She was an amazing boss, I have no doubt. In fact, she was a great person to um, talk to. She really understood um, connecting with her people but at the end of the day, I just don't know if I would ever be a good enough boss to convince my people to come work for me for half of what they could make somewhere else. Right. And today, in today's culture, we're actually facing a pretty significant hiring shortage. And the way people have answered that hasn't been like, you're not flipping through the channels and you see like this really like 
you know, NBC, the more you know, like be a great boss. What you actually are seeing are businesses that are raising their starting pay. Bank of America, for example, is moving their starting pay, I think, to $22 an hour. Uh, Costco, which is, um, uh, they're doing very well right now, they've always been ahead of the curve in terms of their starting wages. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, if, but this is where it becomes so frustrating, I think, for people is because it's hard for people to hear, yes, you can be a great boss, but also this has to be a deliberate strategy where you're, you're committing time, you're committing resources, you're investing in your people. Uh, and more often than not, sad, I'm sad to say, when I have conversations with people, they're looking for any other answer but paying okay. people, unfortunately. Um, a couple of quick stories on this. I had a woman who she was, they had just finished up this really awesome um, year with their business. Revenue was great. Um, net profit was really great for the business. And she said, I'm trying to do something really special for my employees. I have 200 employees. Um, and I said, okay, great. Well, you know, what do you, what do you have in mind? And she said, well, um, she did mention she was thinking about a pizza party, um, which was like, don't do that. I said, let's think about something else. And she said, well, my, my budget is $200. And I, I thought for a second, and I thought, you, you have a budget of $200 for 200 employees to do something special. So you wouldn't even be able to do a pizza party right. to feed them if you wanted no, to. No, not even close. But, but that's often our approach to business is, what's, what is the smallest investment I actually have to make to convince them to stay? And plenty of other conversations I've had with business owners have reflected that. Um, the employees are leaving. It's like the employee has, has put in their two weeks notice, and they're like, hey, I'm quitting. Okay, what, what can I do to convince you to stay? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you, you probably should have had that conversation before they got to the cliff. Um, but again, a, a lot of times it's just easier just to, you know, say the motivational be a great boss, then I'm going to actually pay them what they're worth. Right. They don't want that to eat into their profits a little bit. But you talked, you know, you talked about the Costco's, these big organizations, they might have the funds to pay a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But there are those mom and pops down the road who sure. still want that same talent. Yep. They still need those great people working for them. They might be the greatest boss in the world, sure. but they don't have the unlimited resources like some of these other companies do. What, what would you say to those people? Yeah. I'll say two things. Um, first of all, I, I empathize. I'm a, I'm a small business owner myself, and so I empathize that you know, they're, they're, the answer isn't so simple as just pay more. What I will say, though, is that in many cases, especially if you're a small business owner, in many cases, our perspective on what I am able to pay is linked to the dysfunction in my business. And here's a great example of this. Uh, I worked with a pet store owner who we sat down and she said, hey, I'm, I'm, having, a I'm having trouble retaining talent in my business. And so my first question is always, what are you paying them? Only because that's, that's just what I've seen to be right. the, the quickest the problem. Yeah. So I said, what are you paying them? And she said, well, I'm glad you asked because I've been trying to figure out how can I pay them less than minimum wage? And I kind of paused for a second and, okay, well, sorry, you mean you're trying to figure out how to pay them more than minimum wage? And she said, well, no, I know that like, there's a lot of loopholes. I know it's not always cut and dry. Um, I'm sure there's some way that I could pay them less than minimum wage. And I said, well, um, no, there's actually not a loophole around yeah. it, and it's illegal. Um, minimum wage is minimum wage. You your business in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and uh, I said, well, why would you want to? He said, well, I, I, I literally cannot pay them even minimum wage. Like, I'm not making enough money. 
And this is, a, this is a situation that many business owners are in today, not where they're trying to defraud, you know, people. <laughs> but just financially, they're well, struggling they, to keep the yeah, lights on. Yeah, they, they have this sense of, okay, I, I want to pay more, but I feel like I can't. And this is one of those situations where you have to look in the mirror and realize, okay, my business is broken. There is a, a dysfunction in my business that's causing me not to bring in enough revenue or not, pro, not enough profit where I could actually sustain talent in my business. Uh, there are inefficiencies in your business. You don't have a strong customer pipeline. And, and more often than not, it's simply easier to ignore those problems and pay someone less than what they're worth uh, because that that that's a band-aid fix. It it I can I can set that and forget that and keep getting back to working on my business. And that's actually what I told this individual. I said, hey, your your business is broken. And the sooner you're willing to look at that and address that, uh, the sooner you'll be able to actually pay your people what they're worth. Um, I've even seen people, I saw a business out of Austria that they were hiring uh, people from the United States to work for them. And they were asking, can I pay, so Austria's minimum wage is $20 an hour, and they were saying, can I pay the U.S., since they're from U.S. originally, could I pay the U.S. minimum wage of $7.25? Because I can't pay the $20 an hour. Well, that is you being unwilling to fix the deficiencies in your business. The sooner we do that, the better off we will be in having the funds to pay for our people. Um, and the other thing with that, too, is I, I think sometimes it's an honest conversation on, Am I willing to take home less pay as the business owner? Which, which can be a hard conversation because you've put in all of the risk, you've put in all of the blood, sweat, and tears in running the business. But I remember a business owner who was taking home half a million dollars in profit, and um, which credit to him, he had built this amazing business. And he was losing his employees though to another business that was paying about 30% more hourly. And he said, well, I can't compete with them. I'm losing my staff to them. It's actually costing me a lot of money. But you can compete with them. Exactly. Exactly. And I said, well, I mean, how much would it cost you to match their pay? And he said, it would, it would take away about 100 grand of my annual take-home pay. And I don't want to do that. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. That's, that's your decision to make. But there's no other answer. You will not find talent that's willing to take $7.25 versus $12 an hour somewhere else. Right. Uh, and I think that's the other piece of it too, is understanding that um, your talents, when it comes to finding talent, especially if you're a smaller business, you're not gonna get the A-team player. And sometimes, you know, we're so excited around our business, we think that our business is the best one. It's like, who wouldn't wanna come work here? Well. A lot of people wouldn't want to because you can't pay them what they're worth. Um, you don't have necessarily the, the progression of a career that they could get elsewhere. And so what then has to happen is just like I mentioned, developing an internal strategy around your people. Part of this entails, I'm going to take the B and C level player, which doesn't mean that they're, they're incompetent, right. but they haven't been trained. They haven't been invested in. And so I have an eye for talent, and I see this person who's maybe new in the business. There may be young talents fresh out of the university. Mm -hmm. I see their hunger, I see their drive, I see their passion, and I see a skill set that I can mold and shape into being incredibly useful in my business. Right. And so you take that talent that, you know, where you, for a position you necessarily can't afford, and you train someone up into that. Right, right. So it sounds pretty simple then. I mean, <laughs> you be a good boss, yep. and you pay, you pay your people. Right. But there's so much more 
than that. And you're starting to kind of touch on a little bit. It's hiring the right people. Right, right, right. And and this is where, you know, and I, I, I don't want to make it seem like um, there's another level of complication to it. But but at the end of the day, I mean, just like running a business, every strategy has levels of, of um, or degrees of complexity to it. Uh, I, I hope that I'm communicating that retaining your talent isn't as simple as a pizza party. Uh, but you're right, hiring the right people is incredibly important. Um, really, the, just like we have a customer experience, you know, when your customer first comes to you, hopefully you've developed a process or strategy, or at least I know I do with my customers, on you know, what's it like from the very first moment of interacting with me all the way through doing business with me. I want that to be very intentional. We need the same thing for our people that we hire. And I can't tell you how many stories that I've heard, you've probably heard as well, where someone shows up to report for work and it's their first day and they're like, hey, I'm, I'm here. And the person at the front desk is like, oh, um, yeah, wh where should you be? And so the first like hour is just even trying to figure out where should they be reporting to, what should they be, they don't even know who their boss is. Maybe they're told someone is their boss and it's actually not their boss, it's actually someone else who's their boss. This level of disorganization paints a very um, negative perspective in terms of that customer, uh, excuse me, that, that employee experience mm -hmm. that makes it very hard for someone to feel valued in a business. And so it goes to things like what does effective feedback look like? What does effective accountability look like? And like you mentioned, how do you hire really well? Um, I've heard all sorts of stories, horror stories, on how people are hired. Um, a couple of my favorites, and I wish I was making these up, a couple of my favorites, one's called the dish trick, and one's called the laundry trick. And so the way it works, this was someone who on LinkedIn was basically giving advice. He said, hey, here's how I hire, and here, this will work great for all of you in terms of how you hire. And he said, basically, here's what you do. You bring in the applicants, you offer them a cup of coffee, and uh, which, you know, who, love, who doesn't love coffee? I love our local Onyx coffee. Um, this is not sponsored by them, but you know, feel free to sponsor the podcast, Onyx. But um, anyway, um, you offer them a cup of coffee, and you have the interview, and you know, have the conversation, all that, all that that goes with it. But then, when the conversation's over, you wait to see does the applicant offer to take the coffee mug and say, "Hey, where, where's your kitchen? I want to clean out the mug, or I want to get rid of this mug, and and thank you for offering it to me." Mm -hmm. And so this person who's giving advice says, if the applicant does that, if they take it upon themselves to offer to clean out the mug, then they are a fantastic hire. But he said, if the applicant doesn't, if he just leaves the mug on the table and gets up, you know, thanks for having me, I really appreciate it, and they get up and they walk out, he said, don't hire this person. It means that they're self-absorbed, they're self-serving, they're not a team player. And I can't tell you enough how bad advice this is. Uh, because your applicant might be nervous, might yeah. be thinking. I mean, I, I mean, I've I feel like I, I feel pretty confident, but mm -hmm. I I can I don't think I'm ever really that um, uh, absent of stress and nervousness when I'm saying it in, in an interview. Right. Um, and then the second story with that would be it's very similar. It's called the laundry trick. It's you bring an applicant into a room where they're going to be interviewed, and you tell them just to wait five minutes, like someone someone will be in shortly. Mm -hmm. And on the table you have a pile of um, freshly washed laundry, but, but in a pile. And if the applicant in that five to 10 minute wait takes it upon themselves to start folding the laundry and like organizing it, that means they're a great hire. Uh, and if they don't, then once again, they aren't, they aren't willing to get their hands dirty. 
right? Right. And I'm thinking like, if I'm an applicant, wh whose dirty underwear is this? Yeah, like, why? If, if I walk into a job <laughs> interview and there's laundry set on the table, I'm like, what is this doing? Yeah, what is this like, place? This is not my home. Can we put this in the dryer because that's where it stays until I'm ready to wear it? Exactly. Well, and and see, here's the deal: is we've we've made it's just like with culture. We've we've become reliant on little hacks and tricks rather than putting in the hard work that comes with hiring people. Um, I've even seen businesses where, you know, you, the applicant walks in and the person interviewing says, hey, I'm sorry, I haven't read anything about your resume. Uh, what, what position are you interviewing for? I mean, this level of disorganization, it, it doesn't speak much to the experience of this person being onboarded well. And it also doesn't give a great first impression where the person's going to think, wow, this place really values me. In fact, they're probably thinking, okay, I'll work here just long enough until the next best opportunity comes along. Um, besides the organization point, I've also seen businesses misunderstand their own value in their applicants' eyes. Mm -hmm. And so you have a business who, once again, thinks, you know, we're amazing, we're awesome, and that may be the case. But so they, they, they overdevelop the hiring process where it is this long, lengthy process. Um, one business I worked with, they bragged about their nine-month hiring process, and they said, it's really great, we have this interview, then we have a, a um, group interview, then we have a panel interview, and I'm thinking, what fan fantastic applicant's going to stick around for nine months? Nine months is a long time, a long time especially, especially if you're not getting a paycheck. Exactly. Well, especially during COVID, yeah. where there's actually a lot of options. I mean, people now can find... Uh, hybrid work environments much easier, work from home environments. A, a nine-month hiring process is going to kill you in terms of bringing on effective talent because your best talent knows that they're hireable. And so they're going to go to the business that's going to hire them today or in two weeks versus why would I you know, subject myself to nine months. Mm -hmm. um, these things can make, when it, when it comes to not handling our hiring process well, can make can then make the retention game really challenging long term. Right, it's kind of like you know, if you're a good applicant, it's the fishing analogy. You're going to throw multiple lines out there, so you're not going to sit around and wait for an organization that's taking nine, ten months to hire you. You're going to go with the one that gets a bite, and you're like, boom, that's that's it. The the, the only time someone is going to like throw their line just to one fish mm -hmm. is when it's a brand that they really love. Yeah. Like I've always dreamed of working for Google. So I'm going to, I'm going to, even if it takes me a year, I'm right. going to, but, but so, especially if you're a mom and pop shop, but even for some of our, our um, national brands, you can't take yourself so seriously to think I'm the only like worthy business for them to work for. Right. Ego's great in business, but a little humility can go a long way in recognizing, it's almost flipping the script. It's not, you should be grateful that I'm even willing to talk to you, it's, okay, there is a group of really amazing qualified applicants out there. How do I make this as exciting for them as possible to want to come work here? And it actually be genuine. You know, it's right. not like, you know, you talk about how amazing it is and then you actually show up to work and it's like, this was totally different from what I was told. It's genuine. It's, it's, we say it's amazing working here. You go talk to people, like you find employees on LinkedIn and they say, oh yeah, we love it here. Uh, and then you actually worked and you're like, wow, I could really, I could actually work here long term. Right. So I know we're kind of getting short mm -hmm. on time. Um, so if you could kind of sum this conversation up into like three main themes, what would those really themes be? If someone was to tune in at the very last of this and be like, okay, this is what, this is what I need to do to retain my young talent, what would that be? So naturally you have to be a great boss. Uh, it starts with you. 
uh, you have to be willing to look in the mirror and recognize that um, you may not be as amazing as you think you are. Um, so being honest with yourself and actually um, taking control of your business in terms of making it as amazing as you think it is. You have to pay your people an honest wage. Uh, we, can't we can't keep talking about business strategy and leave pay as like the elephant in the room of like, well, we don't deal with pay. You have to pay your people what they're worth and it needs to be competitive, it needs to be intentional as a competitive strategy. Uh, and then you need to develop a, a retention strategy in your business that's deliberate. It's deliberate, you've built it out. Uh, once again, just like you've, you've ideally built out a customer experience for your business, the same needs to happen for your internal customers, your staff, is that you've built out what does it look like from day one to uh, year five in the business. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if people listening want help with these kinds of concepts, um, I share, I'm a very open book. I'm not the kind of person who, yeah, I'm not like, you know, here's step one and step two, buy my book, um, which I don't even have a book, but um, I'm very open. I mean, on the podcast, uh, I'm sharing, you know, here's, here's literally what you need to do to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, a, a Monday newsletter goes out every week and I'm literally saying, here's the things you need to do. I'm sharing on social media um, because for me, it's, it's not so much about how do I hold the secret sauce back so I get more customers. It's, it's I want to see our businesses flourish. Um, and so definitely reach out to me. You can also email me at blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. Uh, and then ideally, we can even work together on any of these, any of these topics. Well, we definitely want to see our businesses here in Northwest Arkansas grow and, and <clears throat> Flourish. Right. Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking <laughs> on my words this morning. Yeah. Uh, we definitely want to see those businesses grow and continue to see that success here. So feel free to reach out to Blake. He gave you all the information there. Blake, thank you so much for being here today. Again, thank you to our sponsors. We have uh, Ritter Communication as our presenting sponsor. Our gold sponsor is Craft & Toll. Our host sponsors is AEP Swepco and Cushman Sage Wakefield. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. And Blake, thanks for being here again. Thanks.